my lips shall still repeat. Isn't that good news? Races are long and wearying, aren't they? Our passage this morning in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16, are going to help us with that wearying, long race that is this life, this side of glory. My hope is that it brings to us this morning some encouragement that we would be encouraged, if you will, for this wearying race. Let's take some time to get acclimated to our passage and dig into this hopefully encouraging stretch of Scripture. Exodus chapter uh, chapter 17, starting with verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under the sun. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let's take a moment to pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that as we come to it, that you, um, that you would work mightily in the proclaiming of your word, uh, that you would be with your people, that you would bring timely encouragement, that you would help us as we come to it. So be with the preaching and the hearing and the receiving of this, your word, to your glory and to our good. Oh God, we desperately pray in Christ's name, amen. So how do you keep going in a wearying world? How do you keep going in a wearying world? Seems especially relevant for us right now in our day. Where's your comfort? Where's your confidence? Where's your courage? In a wearying world, in a wearying time, in a wearying day, with wearied hearts, where do you find your comfort, your confidence, and your courage? Our passage leads us to the answer. Our passage leads us to see that because our future is secure, we can have courage right now. I'll say that again. Because our future is sterling bright. you got to wear shades. Because our future is secure 
We can have courage right now. Right now. And that's because Yahweh is the banner. Now we'll explain what that means and why that is comfort giving and confidence producing and courage fostering in the people of God. But it ultimately brings us back to the raw reality that we can have those things because we have God. And God has us. And therefore we have we have comfort, we have confidence, and we have courage. And that's really our structure for us this morning. Is that Yahweh as our banner, as the, as the one over us and for us, we, it gives to us comfort in our weariness. It gives to us confidence from our God. And it gives to us courage for our journey. Comfort, confidence, courage, because of Yahweh. Now my hope is that that's what you feel, know, and experience, and and leave here wrestling with, clinging to, hoping in, as we consider the fact that we do indeed live in a wearying world. Let's dive in together. Comfort in our weakness. So what do we find here in Exodus chapter 17, excuse me, uh, Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. What do we find here? We find an unprovoked attack by an enemy on the people of God in a moment of great weary weakness. If you remember last week, the people of God are thirsting. They've, they've gone into the desert. They have no water and, and they are, you know, a couple of million people and then livestock and all sorts of things. This is a dire situation, and they, they don't really have anything else, and they are a wearied people. They're a weak, easy prey to a big band of marauders. Unprovoked attack from Amalek. The Amalekites attack Israel. They were mostly a nomadic tribe that sought to secure key water sources and travel passages in that region of the world. They wandered around, destroying what was in their way so that they could have the water and the travel ways. Yes, indeed, that does sound like Mad Max. (laughs) And there they are, fighting over very limited water sources. And they have a long-standing history of doing things like this, warring against other tribes and people and the people of God. You can find some of that starting in Genesis 14. Whether they were busy trying to protect their own water source that they may have nearby and this big band of people the Israelites were traveling through, or maybe they got word of what we considered last week, God provided them water out of a rock and now they want that water. It doesn't really matter what it is. They attacked. They came after the, the Israelites, and apparently in a very reprehensible way. I mean, attacking usually is. <laughs> but if you, they are, this, this whole story is described later again in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 
through 19 describes what Amalek was doing. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way out as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you. And he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you, and the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. They weren't just to destroy Amalek. They were to blot out his memory. So what Amalek was doing to the people of God as they were coming up out of Egypt is, it was a horrible thing. He attacked the people of God when they were faint and weary. And they attacked those worn down and who were lagging behind where the journey was a lot for them. And they were struggling in that journey. And they attacked with this brazen boldness against this Yahweh of these Hebrew people. That's the nature of this incredible struggle and crisis that hit the people of God in this desert. And yet at the end of our passage, in verse 15, we see that Yahweh is the banner. And this is profound comfort for those weary this side of glory. Profound comfort for those who feel faint and who are lagging behind and who do feel overrun, who do feel like I'm the tail that got cut off. Why? Well, let's take a second to consider what does it mean This phrase, the Lord is my banner. Well, we see, first of all, that at the end of this battle, we have a memorializing event to memorialize the victory over the Amalekites. And Moses builds an altar, not an altar for sacrificing, but an altar as a place of remembrance. That you don't forget, we just did something as a place of remembrance, so you don't forget the cost that Christ endured to secure for us the salvation. Here, here Moses builds an altar so that the people would not forget that God provided victory. And he names it, the Lord is my banner. A banner was a standard. You know, a big long post. That on the top of the post would be like a little bit of a, a banner or, a, or some sort of insignia of some sort that that would be raised high and it would be placed on a a high point so that those in battle could look and see that banner. That's who I fight for. That's who's with me. That's who I belong to. It was a source of great comfort. It was a symbol of hope in the midst of battle. And it brings comfort in the cost of our struggles. That what we belong to, who we belong to, is greater than that we are opposing. And so, this banner in Exodus 17, we see that God does in fact, can, and cares. 
If you were with us last week, we talked about that terrible enemy, unbelief. How is it an assault on God's character that he can't or he doesn't care? That he doesn't have the ability or the faithfulness to see it through. The very next incident is this incredible display of God canning and caring. God doing and being faithful. It's not an accident here. (laughs) In great displaying fashion, God can and cares. So if you identify with the weary people of God, if you would say, if I was in that desert, I definitely would have been lagging behind. I definitely would be worn down. I would have definitely been among those who fainting. There's a profound comfort here. On display in this victory and memorialized and held up high, we see the Lord is the source of all hope and comfort for those who are weary. Christian, you who clinging to Jesus, even if it's threadbare, if it's Christ, that thread is thick enough to cover you forever. You weary this side of glory. Weary with the struggles all around you. Weary with all of the turmoil in you. Weary because your body is physically breaking down. Weary because you're emotionally spent. Weary because apathy seems to have calloused you over. Weary. If you're weary, look up to that standard. Look up to the top of that post. There you will find these words, the Lord is my banner. He is my hope. He is my comfort. He is my strength in the midst of my weariness. Battles may be won or lost, and your Bible is filled with wins and losses. But the victory of the war is the Lord's. And all those who belong to the Lord have victory over the war. Find comfort in knowing who you belong to, who fights for you, who is with you. Yahweh can, Yahweh cares. Secondly, we see in our passage not only comfort in the midst of that weariness, but then confidence. Confidence from our God. Confidence in our God. So we find a rod, raised hands, and some help. An interesting moment here. The whole scene is really a picture reinforcing how the people of God need God. The whole incident is 
countering the unbelief on display last week in our passage and is directing their attention yet again how they need God. How they need God. Some important features here. The people are engaged in the battle. Joshua leads a a group to go out and to fight. Now, if you recall in our story of the Exodus, as they were leaving, they did a lot of watching and seeing and being silent and, and just seeing the Lord do it all and bring them all the way through. Now, they are joining in on this battle. Previously, they simply saw the Lord fight for them. Now, they go on the fight too. Especially on behalf of the weary and the faint. And here we also see Moses is holding up his arms, presumably with the rod in his hand during the battle. That rod is obviously the rod that's been with us through our whole series. You know, the one that was hitting the rock and bringing water, the one that was parting the Red Sea, the one that was bringing, you know, the Nile to reducing it to you know, blood rather than water, that rod that turned into a, a serpent and gobbled up all the other ones, that rod, yeah, as a, as a symbol of God's power and presence among the people. So Moses holding it up. And when it's up, they prevail. And when Moses' arms droop, down they get pushed back. So Aaron and her come along and they give him a stone to sit on, and they keep his arms up, and so we see this victory over this terrible enemy. But the point isn't this, like, putting our, our confidence and, and strength in, in ingenuity or some weird magical mysticism, but really the whole point is to drive the people of God to put their confidence in the Lord. And when we see that banner at the end of our passage, Yahweh is my banner, Moses is drawing attention to the one who actually secured the victory. He's not drawing attention to himself or Aaron and her or Joshua. He's not drawing his attention to like how magical that was. That was pretty cool. He's drawing their attention to Yahweh. He's the one. The present victory here gives the people confidence for future victories because of Yahweh. They're on a journey right now. They've left one place of oppression. They've seen that enemy defeated. Now they have a very real present enemy, and they see that one defeated. And these things are to give them confidence in all the future enemies that come their way, that they too, in the Lord, will be defeated. The future is secure because Yahweh secures it. Even when circumstances seem way beyond our strength, our might, our ability, our future doesn't hang in the balance. If you leave with any kind of encouragement this morning, any at all, I hope you leave with lots, but if you just leave with one, Nothing hangs in the balance. Yes, your life may be incredibly hard until you take your very last breath. You could be alone, broke, and beat down until your very last breath. I don't want that for any of you, 
I certainly don't want that for myself. But that could be our story, couldn't it? It could be. And even if it were, your life does not hang in the balance. Because Yahweh secures for you what nothing, no one, ever, anywhere can take or defeat in any way. What you have, because what God has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ is greater than this victory over the Amalekites, although that victory is pointing forward to the ultimate victory. What He has done for you in Christ is full, it's final, and it's forever. And even if all of your days were miserable, those miserable days will give way to glory. Nothing hangs in the balance. Now, what about those Amalekites? Well, in verse 13, we see Joshua overwhelmed the Amalekites and his people with the sword. There's a little bit of a wordplay, actually, in knowing what we know in Deuteronomy. The word for overwhelmed has a nuanced sense of a weakening. So what Joshua does to Amalekite, all the Amalekites, is he weakens them. And what were they doing? They were preying upon and attacking the weak. So the victory came in this sort of turn, word turn. But they weren't destroyed. Not here. Not yet. In fact, as we saw at the end of our passage, their allotment was to be destroyed someday. And so Joshua, especially Joshua, and yes, we know Joshua. He's the one who's the, the book that's after the first five. And, and so there he is, leading the new generation into the promised land. The failings in that book, however, are that they did not blot out the enemies. They didn't do what the Lord had wanted them to do. And these very enemies continued to cause all kinds of havoc. We find them again in 1 Samuel 15. You can go there on your own. I'll just briefly state this is the story of Saul, King Saul. He was the first king of Israel when they got into the promised land and were united together as a nation. took some time for that to happen. But when it finally did, he was the first king. And he was commanded by Yahweh to not spare the Amalekites. And what does King Saul do? He spares the Amalekites because he wants their stuff. Doesn't want to get rid of all those resources. And it's in that very moment that the Lord, speaking to the prophet Samuel, says, I'm done with this guy. There's another. You need to go. Saul loses his crown over this. In the next chapter, David is anointed king. We find the Amalekites again later in 1 Samuel 30 tells the story of David destroying them. He hunts them down and destroys them. Now, when you get that, and you get the sense of what's progressing here, is that we find that a future king is to bring about the destruction of the enemy. David, in his way, was doing that. But yet, it wasn't the full, complete big picture story that the Bible is unfolding. 
Christ is the future king who comes and destroys the enemy of our sin. In his life, his death, and his resurrection. He wipes it out. He defeats an enemy we had no hope of defeating. He is our banner. Our source of confidence in this world. What profoundly good news we have. Now, this good news is to bring us comfort, it is to bring us confidence, and it is indeed to bring us courage. Courage for our journey. Our future is incredibly bright because of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can have courage for our journey in our right nows. Courage. Because this is also a story of a pilgrimage. It's a people of God who were on the way, weren't they? They were on the way to a land promised them, having been rescued from oppressive slavery. They're on their way, and on their way, having been rescued, but not quite there, they are going to experience all kinds of hardships and struggles and challenges and oppositions and enemies. And they need to have courage. And they can't just muster up that courage. Their courage must be sourced from the comfort and the confidence that they have in the Lord. That's the same place that they will find their courage. We are to see here a people wholly dependent on God, for the rescue, wholly dependent on God for the resources during the pilgrimage, victory over very real, very random, and very menacing enemies, and also find here the, the, the means by which we reach the ultimate destination. It is a picture for the Christian to sink his or her teeth into. As we look at this story, a little micro moment in, in history, speaking of a macro story over history, do you find comfort in the Lord? Do you have confidence in the Lord for a journey that is long and wearying? Do you have courage to meet that which will be in your way on that journey? Once again, verse 15 tells us that Yahweh is my banner. The banner that memorialized Yahweh's victory is a symbol of God's undeterred power for His people. I want to say that again. God's undeterred power for His people. And it was to be um, the place where the people of God were to rally under Not just for comfort and confidence, but for courage. Courage too. I love Isaiah chapter 11. It speaks of one who would come out of desolation. Imagine a forest destroyed, cut down, burned down, destroyed. Just ashes and destruction and Stumps all over the place. Speaks of one who would come, who would bring a spirit-backed kingdom, who would come and bring a, a, a lasting 
justice, who would come and provide a forever peace. It's a stirring picture of what is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Isaiah 11 verse 10 says this. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal, same word as banner, for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Same word. Signal. That's like a standard, a post. High on that post, a banner. Speaking of Christ, who will come up out of the ashes, out of the brokenness of this world, out of the stump that looks to be dead, green shoot that will bring long life. Jesus fulfills this signal. Jesus fulfills this banner. Jesus is where we find ultimate comfort in our weariness. Jesus is where we find ultimate confidence in this life. Jesus is where we find ultimate courage to face all the obstacles around and within. Because Jesus is the one who defeats what we could never defeat. Who overcomes what we could never overcome. Who gives what we could never get. He is the only means by which God brings about ultimate victory. And so if you're trying to cling to something other than Christ. To give to you what is ultimate. Stop. It's not going to do it. Only Christ can give it. Because only Christ possesses it. Your comfort isn't in your comfortable life. Your confidence isn't in your control over your life. Your courage isn't in your strength. All of it can be taken away in a moment. But nothing can overdo and overcome what Christ has already secured for you. So friends, if it's that battle with sin and that just seems to attach to you like that dryer sheet to your shirt that's with you all day long and you don't know it until the end of the day and you think, where did that come from? Your sin just is easily entangling into your heart. Friends, brothers and sisters, your comfort in that battle, your confidence over it, your courage to face it is not going to be found in what you can do and control, but only found in Yielding your heart to Christ. Flooding it as we considered last week. All that God is. His goodness. His greatness. His grace and His glory. If you are around all kinds of toxic people who spew out venom at you. Whether they're co-workers or neighbors or friends or family. And it's just gnaws at your soul and wears you down. Where are you going to find lasting, ultimate comfort and confidence and courage? You're not going to find it outside of Christ. So don't look there. Don't waste your time. Know who you are in Christ. Know who He is for you. He is gentle and lowly and He says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you more work to do. I 
give you rest. Friends, our pilgrimage begins because Jesus rescued us. Our pilgrimage is going to be filled with all kinds of oppositions around and within. Yet Jesus is greater than those oppositions. And our pilgrimage has this great, grand, glorious, ultimate destination where Jesus has gone on ahead of us. and He is coming soon. Comfort for the weary. Confidence for the weak. Courage for the journey. All of it found under Christ, our banner. Look up. Look to Him. Rest in Him. Find your strength in Him. May you indeed have the courage for the journey ahead. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You that in it we find all the hope and comfort and confidence and courage displayed to us through the ultimate fulfilling work of Jesus Christ. And I pray in his name that we would indeed find that comfort and confidence and courage right now. I know that there are many who are sitting here or watching that are weary. And that weariness could be for a whole host of reasons. I know that there are some here who feel weak or unsure or uncertain. Or there's just some that are aren't sure how another day can continue on. God, help us to see your glorious goodness and grace and greatness all on display in Christ and why that indeed is sufficient for us. And as we behold that, would you strengthen us and change us little by little by little by little each day till that day our faith moves to sight. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our benediction. Words that actually Lisa had read midway through the service. Words that I had planned to read at the very end. So you better be listening. May you go. Let's stand for our benediction. And as... We head out, just remember to head out this way, connect and discuss. It's a beautiful fall, New England day, fall two, right? This is the second fall. Do I have my, my uh, not yet? I don't know. There's like 17 seasons, and I haven't quite got them all in order just yet. Enjoy some connecting outside. Let's go out those doors with these words. May him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work in, within us, may he be glorified in our lives in this church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.